0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Across Time Zones. On this episode, we sit down with Evan, aka Your Terrific One. Evan is a watch collector based in Portland, Oregon, and runs his really cool namesake Instagram and YouTube accounts. He has a keen eye for minimal yet intricate and detailed shots, and the same extends to the eloquence with which he shares his passion for watches. We talk about watch collecting, watch modding, and watches on a budget. So sit back relax and enjoy the show across the time zones hey guys
1: hey how's it going
0: hi
2: good evan welcome on the show thanks for being with us thank you so much it's a honor you know what first question do you have an explicit tag because i'm i tend to swear a no, lot please it. by all means fuck it
1: yeah dumb just do it well
2: it's a fucking honor to be here
1: <laughs> likewise it is an honor to have you. It's a fucking honor, Ot. He just said <laughs> it's a "That's right." honor. Yeah. There we
2: go. Get it right. <laughs> I end up putting a little bit of swearing in some of my YouTube videos. And I had someone contact me the other day and tell me that they've been waiting for me to swear again in some of my videos. And they're disappointed that I haven't recently.
1: I mean, wow. you got to be
2: consistent, I guess. Yeah, I, I am inconsistent with things, I guess. <laughs>
0: um, cool. So the way we usually start the show is with a wrist and time check. Um, Evan, you're our guest. Why don't you get us started?
2: Okay. I am wearing, for you, OT, I'm wearing my uh, Polar, my 16570. That's the 40 millimeter, the previous generation. Um, we recently found out that ours are like possibly made in the same year. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I think they're uh, sisters from another mother.
2: That's right. Mine still has the Cyclops and still has the Oyster bracelet on it. Um, And we need to get into yours a bit. You're you're modding. (laughs) Uh, Here where I am, it's uh, 9.05 a.m. on the Pacific coast. I'm in Portland, Oregon. So, that would be what? GMT minus 7 right now? Something like that. Yeah. And I keep my GMT hand on um, Central European time because I work with some people in Barcelona. And also, my wife likes to go to Rome a lot. Fair enough.
1: Cool. What about you, Max? I'm wearing a uh, NOMOS uh, Zurich Weltzeit, a white dial, a New York limited edition. It's not mine. So don't don't jump on me like new watch alert. It's actually my dad's. And I I grabbed it for, for mm-hmm. a few that's days. That's a great watch. I'm actually waiting for f- How come you didn't grab his Explorer? Uh, that's about to happen on, I think, Wednesday. Good. <laughs> Yeah, that's when he'll fly in town. So I, I went to his place uh, like a week ago and then I flew uh, to GMT plus two now where I am right now. And then I'm waiting for him to, to fly over in a couple of days, two, three days, and then I'll grab the Explorer finally. And I'll probably keep it for a while. I'm not sure. We're still debating.
2: Max, if you can say, I have no idea, like if you can say without, you know, compromising your operational security, where the hell are you?
1: So currently, I'm in Romania. Okay. And, and I usually go back between Romania and Munich. That's, that's kind of like my two hubs. And uh, uh, to my regret, I should have been in San Francisco two weeks ago, but um, I didn't make it. Boo. Yeah, yeah, boo. But I'm, trying, I'm really trying to make it uh, probably in the next couple months sometime. Maybe we'll do a uh, cross time zones live. Yes, I'm still looking forward to it sweet
0: and what time is it
1: where you are man so it's currently 7 p.m cool um
0: so where i am it is 9 6 a.m also on pacific time in the bay area and evan in your honor i am also wearing my polar <laughs> which, that's great which uh, as we all know you need to have um village idiot in the family so mine does not have the cyclops
2: <laughs> hmm. yeah i want to get into that and, and can you also, can you say where in the Bay Area you are? Because I've been curious. Yes,
0: I'm in the East Bay. So um,
2: in Fremont. Fremont.
0: Yeah. I, the Bay Area, for those who don't know, um, looks very small on the map, but it's actually massive. It takes me about probably 45 minutes to an hour without traffic to get to San Francisco. It takes me about 45 minutes to get to work. Everything is far, but the weather and the scenery are incredible. So
2: yeah, as a friend of mine put it, the Bay area is God's gift to climatology, meaning like it's just fascinating and the weather and most of it is amazing. And it's also just really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's having lived in Canada for a long time where minus 40 Celsius, Celsius slash Fahrenheit, because I think that's where they meet, um, is common <laughs> coming here where it's basically, um, I guess in Fahrenheit, it'd be like 72 degrees uh, most of the year, if not more, is uh, pretty great.
2: 72 most of the year. Mm -hmm. Jeez.
1: (laughs) I mean, it depends also in which neighborhood you live. Because if you live in the city and uh, if you don't live, I don't know, Soma or... That's true. I don't know, maybe parts of the Mission or North Beach. If you live in the marina, you might be like half of the time in fog. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, it's regardless of the time of the year. I mean, it's, it's worse, say, in winter, but, it's, I mean, I couldn't see my hand in July <laughs> because of the fog. And on the other side, th- that's the funny part, Is on the other side of the city, you have, like, sun and everything's fine. And you, you could eventually go to the beach if you wanted to. But then uh, on the, what is it, like, western side, it's, uh, it's super foggy like golden gate park all that that area there are days you cannot see the golden gate bridge that's how foggy
0: it is and max used to live in sf
1: yeah i used to live in north beach so i was kind of like in between Mm. but it's it's fun it's a fun city for sure cool
0: um so evan i know a lot of your list our listeners and yours on youtube i guess are quite familiar with you but for those that aren't could you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: oh yeah um sure evan uh, i go on instagram instagram i go by you're terrific and the number one so you're terrific one and on youtube i think i'm just you're terrific on most of the forums just you're terrific um that name i read this article a few years ago that said like m- These minor doses of positivity are really good for your brain. And so, they were suggesting in this article that people do um, positive passwords, you know, with all the numbers and symbols, but positive passwords. And I thought, well, why not do that for a username that I have to see every day? My passwords are still like detrimental to my emotional state. My passwords still are like, you suck, (laughs) where the U is is like a three or something you moved um, from-
1: the, the username. But please tell tell us more. Tell tell us the account as well. Like uh, j- j- just do a list. We'll do we'll do it in the <laughs> description.
2: My password is um you're gonna die alone, but the alone <laughs> the A and the alone is an at symbol. Um but my username is really positive. You've moved on from password yeah. one, two, three. Password one, two, three. <laughs> yeah, so that's me. Um I started on Instagram and not long after I had my I started my watch collection, which really wasn't long ago. Um, and uh, it's been a great experience. Like I've met, you know, both in air quotes and in person, a lot of great people like the two of you. I mean, just this past week, I was in Las Vegas and I mentioned it on Instagram and I got to meet up with um, uh, Time on My Hands from Toronto. He just happened to be there at the same time. Uh, so we, met and for a few minutes we got to look at watches together, which is just a fun thing about this community. Um I started putting videos on YouTube, I don't know how long ago. Two, three years ago. Um which December twenty sixteen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which people seem interested in. Um it was never intended for people to watch them too much. Um so and they're not very good. They're in I did it because every time I'm interested in a watch, I like interested in buying it or just want to learn more. YouTube is one of the first things I go to. And I'm just like, even the terrible handheld camera situations with the shitty lighting, I just get a lot out of seeing something more than photos, like seeing someone rotate the watch so I can get a side view, just seeing someone wear it. And so I thought, well, let me try to offer that to people who are interested in the watches that I have. So I just started holding my phone, I think, in front of like a, I don't know what the first one was, maybe a Royal Oak or a Patek. Uh, and, and then I kind of got more into the actual process of making videos, which, um, so for me, it really serves two purposes, which is one, I like making things and two, I kind of want to give people a view into these watches that they wouldn't get from photos or from like marketing videos. Um, and. I a friend of mine said the other day on the phone, he was like, Yeah, I saw I found your YouTube channel. He's not a watch guy, and I was pretty embarrassed because I try to hide these things from my real real world friends. Um He said, Oh, I found your YouTube channel, and I was pretty embarrassed. And he said I said, I, I keep meaning to delete the old ones because they're so awful. They're just like a phone and I'm just in like a bedroom.
0: But they're a, a testament to how far you've come as well. So.
2: And that's, that's exactly what he said. He said, he said, I'm trying to get into videos and to go back in time and see how you started is inspiring to me. And I thought, well, that's nice that my mediocrity can inspire you. Um, but I did like, it's, I did study it a little bit in college. I studied design, video and audio production. Um, so it's a little unfair, but don't tell my friend that because I I don't think he knows.
1: The secret is safe with us and probably 1,500 other people listening in. (laughs) On the internet. On the internet.
0: (laughs) We'll put that in the password file we're sharing in the show notes. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So why don't we get started with how you were first introduced to watches and when you fell in love with them or had the epiphany that you were now a watch person
2: uh it's it's not all that interesting um but it's a little different so um i've always been interested in things that were uh, a combination of design and technology uh, which is how i ended up in my career which is kind of like um some people call it user experience design or product design when i try to explain it to non-software people i i kind of call it I am to a software, what an architect is to a building. Um, So this, this intersection of technical things and beautiful things is where I'm always, uh, I'm always drawn to. And, um, and I saw uh, that as, can you hear a child crying by the way? Nope. Good. Because um, we should get into this like fatherhood and watch collecting. (laughs) Yes. Um, But let me go back. So when smartphones came out, I saw that smart watches were also going to happen. It was only a matter of time. And as a technology person, I was like, well, I'll probably get one of those. So let me try wearing a watch because I haven't worn one in a decade. So I grabbed the only watch I had which was a uh, quartz tag Heuer professional diver. These things were like super popular in the 80s and might still be popular. My dad gave it to me because at some point he felt that like 38 millimeters was too small for him. And so I started wearing it for a week and I was like, not only is this comfortable on my wrist and I like having the time available, I kind of like how it looks. Let me learn more about these things. And as I did, um, I learned about the mechanical side of it and the history. And um, I realized that I was probably never going to wear a smartwatch and that in in preparation for wearing one i had chosen another path which has been much more interesting
1: oh that's cool very cool i mean you mentioned you started your youtube channel with uh something like like everybody does like with a royal oak or a uh, paddock or whatever you had at that time uh we we actually noticed you uh briefly owned a uh, white Dial 5711 but but it might have been more than briefly uh how did you like distill your uh collection how did you change your taste and how why did you get rid of that in favor of other watches or i don't know, just shrinking down the collection refining it
2: that has a bit to do with the, the fatherhood aspect that i was talking about which is um as i now have two children i decided that i wanted to invest more in their future than my pleasure although i mean by going by my current collection like it's it's pretty indulgent But um, I got pretty uncomfortable with wearing watches over a certain value. Um, I think like financially, maybe I'm a little conservative. And now how I choose what to wear and what to own is um, I only have watches that I can afford to lose. And like, sure, there's homeowners insurance, which covers that stuff. But if I can afford to lose that amount of money, then I can wear the watch. Otherwise, forget it. I'm just not comfortable with it. so, that's, that's where I am. So, I did have a, a white 5711 that I wore for a while, um, which, oh God. I mean, if I had known, we all have stories like this, right? If I had known that, that you could never get them again, and also that they would more than double in price, I, I don't know, maybe I would still be wearing it.
0: But to, to, to your earlier point, I think you... Don't you think you would be even more, not worried, but concerned about wearing it, knowing the value? I mean, we I talked about that in a previous episode, but you and I seem to be very in line. My taste has changed in knowing what I'm comfortable with. And I feel like when a, va- when a watch, you know, skyrockets in value and triples, I'm not necessarily that comfortable
2: anymore. right. Yeah. 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 I do feel that way. And maybe I wouldn't have worn it. I don't know. Um, it's just hard to know. It's hard to feel like you missed out on something, of course. Um, and it's also, it was a great fucking watch. Like that thing was slim and had a quick set date, unlike Mm -hmm. the Royal Oak, unlike the, um, the ultra slim. Uh, it was kind of dressy, kind of sporty. It had some water resistance. It was highly legible. And my heart breaks every time I see a photo of one. Um, but it was, you know what? It was great to have for a while. I... I wore it on. Uh, I can't remember. I went on a trip to Europe to Italy with my wife, and I wore it. And that was like some of the, some of my best watch memories were wearing that around Europe. Um, especially since like, the look on the face of some of the, uh, people in the boutiques. Um, I it's a weird thing, but like, I find that you get a little more attention and respect if you go into a watch store with a nice watch. And I wish that wasn't the case, but it seems to work. Maybe because I'm like, I look young, and otherwise people wouldn't give me the time of day.
1: No, I think that works with, uh, with every age and every person who has a nice watch. Except, for, I mean, there are a few places in the world where, where that doesn't happen. And I can specifically name Dubai, where you actually walk into a boutique and you don't need to wear a watch and just act like you've always been there and they're like super, super friendly with you and treat you like probably better than all ADs in Europe or the US. But uh, yeah, around Europe, around the US, especially New York, um, I think they're more, or Miami, I think they're more like looking at your wrist, looking what you're sporting. Oh, you have you have a nice watch. Oh, you have a paddock. You have a whatever, something in that area. And then they're like, oh, Okay. This person is here to shop.
2: It does seem that way. And I hate to like, to judge. There's a lot of nice people who work in watch stores and I hate to judge how they judge me, but it does seem that way. But, and I'm curious about Dubai, like maybe they're incentivized differently or maybe just like everyone has money there.
1: Um, yeah, almost everyone has money. I mean, I spent a few, few months like on off in Dubai. And uh, what I've noticed is um, there's, I think Dubai... There's like 60, 70% uh, expats living in the city. So like the official language is English. Everybody's working for either a financial company or is some sort of a engineer for either construction or whatever, tech, something like that. So there is money floating around. And um, I mean, there's obviously money in Dubai, like locally with all these like shakes and uh all those people who i mean a license plate can run up to like 10 million dollars that's the license plate on the car doesn't even matter what car you put it on but um i noticed that people like are very laid back when it comes to like how they treat you like how they view you because they never know who you are i mean you could be like a very rich i don't very rich motherfucker just flying in to dubai and just spending like 400 grand on watches they have no idea who you are so they pretty much they're pretty much very very nice and they're obviously they're every they're nice everywhere like in restaurants and like the services industry in dubai is like top notch and this is not a sponsored advertising for dubai although we're open to it
2: (laughs) yes i would like in on that sponsorship as the guest of this episode
0: Ah, nah you're too late no nah, you're too late
1: <laughs> emirates please 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 i lost my qatar uh gold membership so please
0: you know that's probably a good thing when i was traveling for work fairly extensively to the point that let's put it this way i have not traveled for work in about i'm gonna say like five years and i still have a I think it's a lifetime status now with Marriott, where I am gold forever, even though I haven't traveled in five years. And so when I when I was traveling, you know, the status and the perks that come with it are really cool. But then when I started losing statuses with, you know, airlines and things like that, I started also to realize it was really nice not to live out of a suitcase anymore.
2: Yeah, it feels glamorous, but it's it's really exhausting to travel for work. I do it it's not even extensive right now. It's like once a month for Overnight, maybe. And it's it's a lot. It feels like a lot, especially with kids.
0: Yeah. At its peak, I think I was gone two weeks a month, almost every month.
2: Jeez. Wow.
1: Yeah. Although the good part is, and I think this is uh this also kind of like translates to uh watch collecting. Yeah. Is once you live out of a suitcase for a certain amount of time, you realize you don't need that many things. Like you don't need like ten Jeans, uh 10 pairs of jeans. You don't need like sure. hundred t-shirts, five hundred shirts, whatever it is. And you kind of like I mean, this is what happened to me. I kind of like size down. And I have uh okay, I have the same pair of jeans like four times, but that's about it. Like everything else is gone. And the same t-shirt, I have like 13, 13 copies of it. Like whenever I buy something I like, I mm-hmm. buy bulk. But I then I wear it, I wear the shit out of it. Like, cost per wear for one of my t-shirts is probably, I don't know, five cents.
2: Max, are you a, a, a not only black dial, are you a black t-shirt guy? Is this what I'm guessing? Like, you have a hundred black yeah. t-shirts?
1: yeah. I mean... We're we're designers, so that's kinda like you either wear a white shirt or you do like the kind of like um in air quotes like coffee shop hipster kind of approach. (laughs) Or you you wear a black t-shirt or everything black, really. That's I I don't know.
0: Max basically wears a black t shirt, a black pair of jeans, and white common projects every day.
2: (laughs) No, and I know that kind of designer, and I'm but I am not that kind of designer. Like increasingly I've been doing colors and patterns and like, I want to say this to all the men listening. Yes. Don't be afraid of color and don't be afraid of patterns.
1: Oh, I, I had my color uh, phase. Like I was wearing like uh shirts. I was wearing turquoise uh, polo shirts. I had my phase, but then I was like, Oh, fuck <clears> that. No, I'm just going to be like super minimal. Uh, I tried white t-shirts, which work, but it's, it's, a hassle Yeah, you go eat pasta and then you're like all of a sudden you're like a white t-shirt with like hundreds of blood stains all over you and they're like oh did you kill somebody or did you just have bolognese oh, you know if, so. if it said
0: if it's said off-white on that t-shirt you could sell it for a thousand dollars
1: oh fuck no no <laughs> i i uh, all my t-shirts and all my everything i have really is pretty much unbranded like if you can see the logo, I don't want it. Same. Yeah, and uh, you, it. you mentioned common projects, but, um, uh, I have, I have two pairs and I couldn't make them work at all. Like, uh, I try different sizes. Like I always order when, when I, when I shop online, I order like my size and then depending on the, the website, I order one up or one down and then I just send it back the one, uh, which doesn't fit that well. But, uh. But I couldn't make common projects work. So I'm sticking with currently my favorite go-to is uh Golden Goose. They're some sort of a um I wouldn't call them like a I mean they brand themselves as a luxury Italian handmade uh sneaker brand. Uh but they're they're kind of like priced around um like retail Yeezys, something like that. But they look um uh, they look like um You pretty much had a pair of chucks, went through a construction site, came out on the other side. And that's how they look like out of the box. Like you you don't know if they're broken in or not. If you had them for like 15 years or if you just got them, they look trashy. And I like that about them. And what's the name of these?
2: (laughs) Uh, Golden Goose. Golden Goose. Okay.
1: Um, the website i think is ggdb golden goose deluxe brand which i don't know the branding i don't like but mm. the shoes themselves are very very nice yeah they are cool i think they have one that's called the,
0: the basketball one or something like that. oh yeah they, like, they, they have really
1: many cool. my, my go-to is the mid-star which is they're not like high tops they're like mid-top sneakers and um they look like a brogue like top of the shoe looks like a brogue um, dress shoe which, which is like re- really fucked up and seriously they look like they were beaten to hell for probably like five years before you had them so it's yeah they look, they look trashy before you actually took them out of the box which I like that's one of my favorite things because people don't, don't know the brand and they look at you and they're like holy shit change your shoes like you look like You just got out of the dumpster you (laughs) homeless guy i
2: just found him online yeah you look like a homeless person that's just and you know what that goes back to being judged by your appearance or what you're wearing because you could walk into a store and they could ask you to leave (laughs) but i don't know i haven't looked at the prices of these shoes yet but i
1: imagine holy jesus Mm -hmm. max that's a lot of money uh, don't look at the special editions and stuff. Just look at the regular ones. I'm looking at the
2: women's sneakers, and I'm seeing uh, women. Women's
1: sneakers are usually like more expensive than men, for some reason. Oh. I think that goes back to every item. So,
0: so let me play devil's advocate for all of our non-watch friends out there. That uh, you know, look at us and say, "Why in the world are you spending X amount of thousands of dollars on a watch?" and Granted, um, you know, a sneaker, the second you start wearing it, starts accumulating wear and eventually it gets to a point that you actually can't wear it anymore. Unlike, say, a pair of, of boots that you could resole, etc. Or a watch that you could service. But I think, I think it's, it's all about perspective and, and, and what you love and, and where you want to, to put the money that you have for things like this, right?
2: Yeah, I'm not actually criticizing someone for spending that on something they love. Um, no, you should. Yeah, you should. If it's me, and if it's me, you stop should. Not looking like a yeah. hobo. <laughs> well, right. Like you could, you could buy a watch for uh, ten, hundred times that price, and a watch that looks equally as beat up. Right. True. Like some of the most expensive watches in the world are covered in scratches.
1: I mean, there, there's a fine line between patina and like straight up like junk to be honest i've seen a watch it was a big crown submariner at a uh, don't remember the auction house uh london i don't know bonhams whatever something like that uh it it was sold for something around the ballpark of two hundred thousand pounds uh and uh, the dial was all covered in like sea salt. Like <laughs> the crystal had uh, uh, had given up at some point. I think it was at the bottom of the sea for x amount of time, or something like that. But the dial was completely covered in like salt. And they were like, "Oh, this is amazing." I was like, "No, that's shit. That's trashed. You couldn't even tell the time." I think that that's the that's the fine line between like. Spending something to look like a hobo or spending something to like really have a trash thing on your wrist. I mean some people dig it. i d I don't mind it, but yeah. Yeah,
0: the holy has to be original. I think I think there's there's a limit to that. Yeah. I I have no problem with a restored watch if it's restored the way it's supposed to be or the way it was originally, you know, personally. And I know others take offense to that.
2: Well, let me ask you something on that topic. This is something I wanted to hear from both of you, which is what do you think is the most interesting watch in the world?
0: Hmm. Define interesting.
2: That's up to you. Like this, I think this says a lot, could say a lot about your personality or what you find fascinating. Um, but you've, you know, you've looked at some of the uh, the auctions and you know what's out there. Maybe it's like, the black bay 58 or maybe it's like the paul newman paul newman but what would you say is the most fascinating or interesting watch in the world to you
1: max do you want to start huh. I was about to ask the same thing uh i mean i can start um it's not necessarily one watch and i um i would name a brand as a whole and i think uh richard meal comes to mind and uh It's interesting for me because um, the guy is trying to, like, push the limits of manufacturing. You have the watch, which is kind of like a, I don't know, um, it was done the way it was for a century now. And then this guy comes along and instead of necessarily revolutionizing the way the watch works, he just looks at it and says, oh... We can do the same kind of principle, but just make it out of like crazy, crazy materials. You have layered carbon fiber. You have suspension systems, which are sh- shocker absorbent. Um, like the watch weighs literally nothing. I could probably sneeze and the watch would fly like four feet away. It's, uh, yeah, I think that's that's to me as uh, one of the most interesting brands out there, and I get it that people don't like the design or, uh, the value or whatever. But for some reason, I like I like I like what he's doing, and I like the way he's positioning the brand and so on. So yeah, yeah,
2: I do too, and I don't know that I would ever wear one, but like the stuff from I think it was S-I-H-H, the candy themed ones. I thought were, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I thought were great. And I thought were like a great comment on, here's a watch that costs over a hundred grand US and it's fun. It's not serious. It's, uh, it's a joke really. Uh, and I thought that was really terrific. And I I feel like maybe he has the same idea with the materials.
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Let's shake things up.
1: Yeah. I mean, wrist candy, literally. (laughs) Yeah. OT.
2: Um, I guess I'll answer it twofold. The most interesting
0: watch to me from a personal standpoint is my Rolex Explorer for reasons I've explained on my Instagram account, but uh, it holds a very, very special place in my heart and in my watch collecting. Um, you know, it's my son's birth year watch, uh, he has his name on the warranty card. Uh, his name is Jackson, and by Whatever pure miracle, the serial number of the watch is J. Um, so that, that's just the most interesting watch to me personally. As far as the most interesting watch out there, I have... I, th- I guess I'll, I'll talk about a brand as well, and that is Longa. And I, I have just been... Over the last two and a half years obsessed with, with Longa and everything they're doing and the the level of, of, of humanity in their products I think is unbelievable and, and is something that transcends watch collecting and watch loving as a whole. You know, people people that don't get watches may scoff at whatever watch that you know, you may love because they're not into watches, but put a, put a data in someone's hand. And even if they don't give a flying fuck about watches, they will be blown away. Uh, especially when you add the, the human element and explain to them that every single part was manufactured, put together and then engraved or beveled by hand. Um, so yeah, I have the utmost respect for Lange and, uh, I think the 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 data graph is basically one of uh, kind of the the goal watches for me in the future to celebrate a milestone and uh, I don't know what that is or when that is but I uh, want to, Thursday. to leave that watch yeah celebrate Thursday yeah <laughs> no but I want to I want to not own that watch until it can feel really special
2: that is a great brand I feel like Longa in their price bracket is similar to how grand seiko is in theirs which is like people who know know like the quality is unparalleled for that money um but there's a lot of people who don't know even though they have ad's all over the world and um they're clearly beautiful like i feel like a lot of people who when they have that kind of money go to something like a paddock or a vacheron or something and they're missing out
0: yeah and and to be fair there's you can get that kind of experience, not necessarily the same level of, of finishing. Some would argue you do I personally think you don't even though I highly respect the mm-hmm. brand but from uh, glassuta original you know some of their Pano Reserve or Pano, Pano lunar the moon Panomatic
1: phase one. lunar yeah that one
0: um, I think those watches are incredible and you get that same flair and design sense and, and beautiful movement. Um, So, I encourage everyone Mm -hmm. to look at both those brands. What about you?
2: Uh, I was thinking about this and um, for most of my 20s, I studied Tibetan Buddhism pretty deeply. I, I, um, I spent a lot of time in India studying in the Tibetan monasteries there and studying Tibetan language and Sanskrit and and probably because of that, one of the most interesting watches to me was a watch that's owned by the Dalai Lama, who, if you don't know, is the kind of religious and political leader of the Tibetan people who are basically refugees right now in India. Um, and he was given a watch by uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, the president of the United States in the 1930s and 40s. He was not directly given this pocket watch, but it was given to him through some service member in the US. Um, I think it was like the pre-CIA and it is a paddock pocket watch minute repeater that only recently for the first time was photographed. And I think like Hodinky did an article on it when the photograph finally surfaced and the history involved in that, like that this came from FDR through a, a US um, military person who was actually the grandson of um, Leo Tolstoy, the Russian author, to the Dalai Lama, who was at the time probably 12 years old, and he still has it, and he works on it. There are photos of the Dalai Lama uh, with a watchmaking kit working on this and other watches, and I just think that's the most interesting watch in the world to me. And OT, cool. fuck you for saying something about like how children, your watch and your son... That makes me sound pretty shallow because I have two daughters and um, they're not that special. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny.
0: You know, I think the reason I'm all the more attached to that Explorer is because it's taken me a long time to realize, and I've spoken about this during last episode with Chris. It's taken me a long time to, to have the, the self-awareness to realize that watches are just that, watches, objects, things that are things that you should only get attached to if you have a reason and not arbitrarily choose to. And so, yeah, th- I think that epiphany is not not recent, but not all that old either. So I think I'm just still very happy with with having gained that level of self-awareness.
2: Yeah, it takes time. And some people never get there, I think.
1: And then they go and bid at, at auctions and spend like $17 million for a Paul Newman. For the Paul Newman, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, those people, they might be doing it in a shallow manner or they might be doing it because they genuinely enjoy the collecting. You know, I have a friend, we talked earlier about being comfortable with a value. I have a friend that... Um, loves collecting. And, you know, we always talk about the fact that I could never own as many individual pieces as he does, or even more than like three, let's say. Um, I just always have this weird thought in my head that if, if, you know, if I have, let's say, five or six or seven watches, um, I'm, wear- I'm only wearing one at a time. And I'm, I'm not going to get to the seventh one for, let's say, three weeks. And I just personally, mentally can't deal with that, even though I know people are just really happy uh, on, on the opposite side of the spectrum to rediscover a watch after not having worn it for four months, let's say. Um, and I think it just, you know, that's what makes this community so great. We all have yeah. different outlooks and different tastes and perspectives.
2: Well, on that, let me ask you, let me give you like a uh, quiz. Ooh. Okay, um, let's start, Max, let's start with you. Okay, I'm gonna set a timer for 10 seconds.
1: Oh, damn.
2: And I'm gonna say, you have $5,000 to build a three watch collection.
1: Go. Um, Grand Seiko Peacock, Nomos, uh, Tangente and a, um, a G-Shock. Wait, isn't that more than $5,000? No, the G-Shock is like 300 bucks a peacock is around three and a half if you buy smart and then uh the normal is like a, a grand oh yeah that's true that's true are you doing euros uh, no i'm looking like uh, you were talking like uh new or pre-owned. no no either
2: that's great damn that's a nice collection yeah i mean
1: it's that would be pre-owned if it's uh if it's not yeah like, that's great uh if it's doesn't match uh, the retail price. If I'm over it, then I'll just do pre-owned. I think Nomo's pre-owned is like one grand hmm. tops.
2: Yeah. Do you have a, a G-Shock in mind?
1: Uh, yeah, it's actually the one I, I currently own. It's a, I mean, the reference is so annoying. It's like one of the latest ones they have. It's not the metal one. Um, they came out with one which is entirely made of, uh, out of resin. And it has a uh, resin bracelet it's actually a bracelet it's not even a strap and it has all the fancy stuff like uh, bluetooth uh, solar powered but i what i liked about it it's like full black and it doesn't have many logos on it i think it just says g-shock and i think bluetooth or something like that so it's just super Mm -hmm. minimal
2: yeah i have a 90 dollar g-shock it's like a 50, 5610, I think. No Bluetooth, but it has the radio syncing. And man, I love that watch. Yeah. Okay, OT. Mm-hmm. Three thousand dollars, three watch collection. Go.
0: Oh. Uh. five five six. Um Helios C4th. And probably also G Shock.
2: Very nice. Uh as the as the owner of all of those. Uh Nicely done.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those watches. My, my G-Shock of choice that I own is the, I think it's the exact same as yours, Evan, except it's the 35th anniversary one with Project Team Tough on the dial, which was the code name for the very first G-Shock.
2: That's a good one. Okay, last one. We'll go back to you, Max. $1,000, three watches, only Japanese.
1: G-Shock, G-Shock, and I'm not going to get Seiko, G-Shock. all right not that i don't like seiko but i mean i have a a thousand bucks to spend so it's probably going to be like uh, a very cheap g-shock a medium g-shock and probably another like i don't limited edition if i can grab it off ebay like the uh, metal ones the the full metal g's uh yeah i think those run about a thousand dollars i think oh no five hundred dollars not even sure Yeah, about five hundred
0: those are really cool. Yeah, I really yeah. want that gold one. It's just as ostentatious as it can get. It's
2: perfect. I think it's fully polished too, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Yes. Which
0: I guess, Matt, it's massive. literally like, look at me,
2: gold. <laughs> <laughs> Do either you own uh, yellow gold watches? No. No, but I am
0: very, very, very much in love with rose gold right now.
2: What specifically?
0: the The tone of it. It's just this. It's beautiful warmth and I guess I have olive skin tone and it just really works well with my, my skin tone. Um, I love the, the Nomos Metro uh, in rose gold. I love the Rolex Yachtmaster uh, on Oysterflex in rose gold. I love the, I think it's called the Zenith Classic in rose gold. It's a three-hander, no, no chronograph. Um, yeah, I have a little bit of an obsession with rose gold right now.
2: Then you don't own that uh, that uh, Yachtmaster, but you do own the Oysterflex, right? I do. Which you have on your Explorer one. Is that still the case? Right. So yep. you you like to mod your watches, which I want to talk about because your Polar, you have. I mean, you've had it on a um, on a Jubilee, a Super Jubilee, is that right?
0: Yes, and you know, before you get into your question, I have to give a nod to yourself and others that uh, have spearheaded this this Rolex and and other
2: watch modding movement. For me for what? Putting a a Jubilee
0: on something? Yeah, I mean, it's it's as little as it is. It's things that people are either afraid or or don't can think of doing or don't want to do, yeah. even though they might want to try it.
2: Well, the I think I per- the first watch I put the Super Ju- Jubilee on was my Batman uh, GMT. And I did it because that's how Rolex used to sell GMT. There was an mm-hmm. option that had the Oyster or the Jubilee and I love the look. So, I was able to attain one, just the bracelet, And um, I got a lot of shit for it. And then Rolex came out with one officially on the Batman. And, uh, and now I'm expecting royalty check from Rolex any day now from my style
1: it's coming it's coming that's what they keep telling me i'll have my people talk to um to their people thank you that'd be great (laughs) but
2: but ot you took it further right like you had the cyclops removed from your polar and i've seen that done on the gmt with a black dial and Mm -hmm. i was like "Hmm, that's okay but i really like it on that white dial i i i'm a no date guy
0: that's uh i think i think if i could if i could have Every watch not have a date, I would be a lot happier. Uh, and uh, I think, yes. and, and then by extension, the Cyclops just just further magnifies no pun intended the presence of a date. And so removing it is kind of halfway to removing the date. Something that I actually can't do, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, it's a. Uh, so what did that cost? Like, what did the watchmaker say when you suggested it? Do you know how they did it?
0: Yeah, I was there. Um, (laughs) So there are two ways to do it. Uh, The one way is to put a non-cyclops crystal on the watch. So if you're looking at, say, a five-digit sapphire watch, so let's say, like, the Polar 16570, you can use a Submariner 14060 crystal. If you're looking at, say, which I've also done, a GMT Master 1675, you can use a, um, I think it was from the Sea Dweller, uh, a T38 domed non-cyclops uh, acrylic crystal. So I've done that too. And then on the current kind of six digit modern ceramic watches, um, you can also do the same with like a 114060 crystal on, let's say a... Uh, uh, 116710 for example which that I've never done I don't know why um, and then the, the, the other way which only works with the Sapphire non-ceramic watches so this doesn't work for acrylic crystal and it doesn't work for ceramic watches Is to just remove the Cyclops and the reason it does not work with ceramic watches or very very late I think last serial Five-digit, uh, like call it two thousand nine, two thousand ten era, uh, is because there is an a patch of anti-reflective coating underneath the Cyclops. So if you remove the Cyclops, you all of a sudden have a Cyclops-shaped AR patch on your sapphire crystal.
2: Huh. So Rolex does use AR coating, but only under the Cyclops. Correct. Weirdos.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because people need to know the date don't need to know the
0: time <laughs> <laughs> and so as it relates to how you remove the cyclops in that sapphire window between acrylic and modern sapphire um my watchmaker is awesome i use roly works here in the bay area i've posted about them multiple times mike and salvador are incredibly talented love watches they have an immense passion for them beyond just running a watchmaking business. Uh, and they love this stuff, you know. I think Mike Mike loves my Explorer on the Oysterflex. He loved seeing it on a Super Jubilee when I had the Super Jubilee on the Explorer and, and the Polar. Um, they carry, Ever- I think they're one of the retailers for Everest in the Bay Area. So they're all about, you know, modding. Um, but so one of the ways you can remove a Cyclops from a non-ceramic sapphire crystal is to use a blowtorch at really really high heat so i'm talking blue flame and just hold it over the cyclops for about three seconds and then use not your fingers (laughs) use something like a you know some something long and metal so you don't come in 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 touch with that heat and just push it off and it will literally just slide off the crystal and um What's funny is you will you will see your sapphire crystal go black, as you expect from the heat, but then really quickly heal itself and look like nothing's ever happened. So, that was really cool to see when we were just messing around with seeing how, like, what would be the best way to do it.
2: Wow. And they removed the crystal from the watch before the blowtorch, I assume. Okay. Yes. Correct. That's awesome. And not only, like, I think people should do whatever they want with their watches. Exactly. And I... I kind of like trolling purists, like yeah, I, I like it. pissing them off a bit. I'm,
0: I think I made a post on Rolex forums that was called "Purists <laughs> Beware and then I posted photos of the, the Explorer uh, <laughs> on, on Oysterflex and the Polar on uh, Super Jubilee with no Cyclops.
2: So, in this case, in, in the case of your Polar, it is a replaced crystal or it was burned off? We did both.
0: Um, first we did the replace crystal and then with the crystal that was removed we messed around to see what would happen
1: oh cool okay interesting should have filmed the whole thing would have made for a nice video
0: i i wanted to but torch the side so many things so many things could have gone wrong that uh, I chose not to film.
1: Damn, I'd pay to see a Cyclops torched.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we know, well, now that they know how to do it, let, let me be clear, uh, I had no physical hand in doing this. I was just watching. Yeah, just
1: have to film uh, it.
0: Now that they know how to do it.
1: Yeah, now that they know how to do it, I'm sure they they be willing it's, to, it's to like it. Dude, it's just like porn. You don't have to be in it. You just have to film it. It's like you're on the business <laughs> side of things. Yeah, but, you know, l- less less things
0: can go wrong when you're when you don't have a blue flame involved. Yeah, Un- yeah. unless that's your nickname, you know, when you're doing those types of videos.
2: Max, I think it's up to you now. That it's it's now on your shoulders. I think maybe the um, the forty-one, the day just forty-one, or the Belina.
1: I mean, those might see uh, buyers before they see, like, any torch, although I would torch them. No, it's, uh, it's, I mean, to be honest, those will be the first two watches to leave the collection. If I ever decide to get a new piece, it's going to be a one-in-one-out situation, and one of those two will, will have to leave just because of the date and because of the Cyclops, so it's mostly because of the date.
2: You would get rid of so, the Batman.
1: Yeah. Wow. Don't know if I shared this before, but so when I got the Batman, I, um, so I waited like, oh, what was it? Like one, one year, uh, six months, no, eight months, something like that. Somewhere between eight months and a year. And, um, I got the call in January. I was in San Francisco. I flew to Munich. Um, I actually had to fly to, I think, um, Frankfurt to pick it up. And, um, so I put it on and I liked the whole like black and blue thing, but I never felt the Batman to be special, like sp- compared to the Submariner. The Submariner was like, I don't know. It was my first Rolex. It's the simplest one. And I don't know. The Batman felt very, very similar to that one. Same case, uh, slightly different bracelet, but it's like overall, it's the same watch, uh. Yeah. Plus the complication and um, the ugly Cyclops. So it didn't feel like, oh, this is something new. This is something like, wow, special. But since I don't like sell watches right away, actually, I've never sold any of my watches. I'm like, eh, I'm just going to hold on to it, see, see what happens and so on. And I like to wear it, but it's not something I'm very attached to. That's and then In a way, day- you're lucky.
2: Prices have gone yeah. up and you have not grown more attached.
1: Yeah, it's like, if, if I get a good offer, like passively, I'm not actively looking for one, but if somebody would make me like, I'm in an airport and somebody's like, oh, I'm just going to give you like, I don't know, something around or up above market price for it. I'll be like, I'll send you the papers tomorrow. Just wire me the money now and you can keep the watch. I'll <laughs> be that.
0: If anyone's listening, you can slide into Max. Yeah. Yeah. Or
2: just a costume in an airport. That always works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that attached to it. I, just get a, a few drinks in. He'll just give you the watch. You don't need oh, no, I'm, ver- I'm very one. cautious about drinking and uh, giving away watches. Like, <laughs> I'm very cautious about drinking and keeping holding on to my phone, to my wallet.
0: Tell us about the last time you were drinking and gave away a watch, Matt.
1: <laughs> Uh, Let me see. I think I gave one to my dad, but I wasn't drinking. Or maybe there was some scotch involved, but it's my dad, so... He deserves it.
0: <laughs> so Evan, let me let me flip the question over to you. Um you've also quote unquote modded the watches quite extensively over the years. Uh you know, you put your BLNR on a mesh bracelet about two and a half years ago or so. You you wore an aquanaut on a on a variety of Perlon straps. <laughs> <laughs> what was the motivation for you?
2: Um for the aquanaut on Perlon was 21 millimeters lug width, and that's what I had around. Uh and as my a friend of mine said, it was like wearing a straw hat with a tuxedo. <laughs> uh, but it was really comfortable. That aquanaut was really great. It was, I didn't to the rubber with those is that you have to, they have to be mm-hmm. cut. Um, and it was just too complicated. So I wanted to try, I think I did Perlon and NATO. Yeah, I put my BLNR on a, a mesh, like a $5 mesh from eBay which I love the look of. It's very comfortable. I'm just, I just feel like people should do whatever the hell they want with their watches and be comfortable. Um, and again, there's like this little thing in the back of my head where I like trolling purists and I like <laughs> making them mad. And it used to be the case where when I posted like a paddock or an AP on Instagram, I would follow it up with a G-Shock or a Seiko Quartz just to kind of my goal is not to make people mad. My goal is to actually show people that there's beauty at all price ranges and there's quality at all price ranges and that this hobby shouldn't be taken too seriously, even though the money is pretty serious. And I don't know if that comes across, but that's how I feel. Well said.
1: Thank you. Um, Here's a weird question for both of you. Like, um, the last episode with John Mayer and Hodinki and his like incredible watch collection and so on. Uh, do you think he would be still into watches if he wasn't John Mayer? Like if he's genuinely into watches even before he had the money to spend on X amount of rainbow Daytonas or uh, it's just something like, Oh, he enjoyed the hobby But then he was fortunate enough to be able to afford it. And that's why he kind of like grew it.
2: Well, that's hard. That's hard to know. Like looking at myself, um, I I started with a very small budget and loved watches immediately, even though it was like, I might've started with like a SKX 007. So it's possible that he would have loved watches without the budget. He's a smart dude he seems like a a good guy
0: i think he's a very he's someone that's it's it comes across as though he is someone very in touch with his emotions and i think watches trigger a lot of emotions i mean you see some pretty heated debates on watch forums um whether it's about a watch design or price or whatever and so i think i think it's a hobby that is very emotional you know a lot of people are into the hobby for monetary reasons for flipping for investing whatever the case may be and so all those people aside i think it's a it's a very emotional hobby and i think if you are someone that's very in touch with emotion i think you you just end up delving even deeper into the hobby and the fact that you can afford some of the most incredible pieces out there i'm sure helps you know i if i had that kind of budget i would also you know to a certain extent indulge in some of the things that i know i'm probably never going to be able to
2: And a high budget like that could also hurt like you you could have um yeah a difficulty making decisions because you just have so damn much money to spend but if you had you know like Mm -hmm. the three watch one thousand dollar budget that narrows things down for you quite a Mm -hmm. bit g-shock 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 for example
0: yeah absolutely
2: so i wonder if a, if a large budget can can hurt a collection in a way
0: yeah I think it has to do with the collector right if if you have a clear view of what you like and what you're like we t- like we said what you're comfortable with and what it is you, you want to, to to take away from from it then like for me for instance you know if, if my budget c- would allow I would have a, a data graph and and I would need everything else in that price point to go along with it so, uh, but maybe if, if, if we're talking about the me from when I, when, before I had that, that self awareness we mentioned and I had a virtually unlimited budget, yeah, you're right. Maybe it would hurt and maybe I wouldn't know, I wouldn't have been able to distill down because I'd just be buying whatever I wanted. Um, so there's right. definitely a, a focus in limitation for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that's the hardest part. Like just trying to be like very mindful of what you buy, if you have unlimited budget, because you can literally go out and buy everything. It's like distilling through everything just to pick out the ones that Mm -hmm. really make sense or give you some value, like emotional value.
2: Yeah. Guys, I have to run. Uh, But one last thing I want to do is since we all kind of met on Instagram. Uh, My wife was asking me about something the other day and she was asking me about women's watches and why I don't see many women on Instagram doing watch posts. And I don't know if it's the culture or... I'm not sure what what the situation is. So I was wondering if the last thing I could get from you is a recommendation of an Instagram account run by a woman that you think people should follow. And I know you recently interviewed Curious Horology, um I can't remember her name. Alice. Yeah, Alice. She was great. Um so you can't pick her. But give me a, a woman's Instagram watch account that you think people should follow.
0: Um I'll reference Kat. Her Instagram account is A Girl and Her Watches with underscores between each word. And we'll put the account all the accounts mentioned in the show notes as well. Um I think she's based in Texas? No, Tennessee, Nashville. Um and she takes awesome photos. She has a really diverse, really cool collection. And um, yeah, it's really nice to see some of uh, what she likes. You know, it's things you don't necessarily see in, 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 uh, in the rest of, of my feed, for instance. So yeah, it's fun.
2: She's also really cool to chat to. Max, do you have anything?
1: Uh, yeah, actually I do. Uh, so there's uh, Audrey Macro. That's the account. Uh, she's uh, SF-based at San Francisco, and she has... So if you want to see, like, like handheld macro of a 5711, a Daytona pre-ceramic, uh, a bunch of Panerai's, I think, she sports. She has, like, a very, very, very nice collection and takes amazing photos. And I think she started, like, I don't know, a little bit over six months ago or a year. Wow, that's pretty recent. don't exactly remember.
2: Okay, and I'll give one, uh which is Oyster Wrist Girl. Uh No spaces or underscores, Oyster Wrist Girl. And uh she's got, I think, you know, she chose her name from her, I think it's a 34 millimeter green dial Oyster Perpetual, which is a really great look and has, there's some good photos. An SKX 13, the, you know, the 38 millimeter that I have. Uh, just great photos. It's just nice to see something different than a bunch of dudes. And I would like to encourage more women to get into this hobby. The watches are there for them. Like there might be a greater variety even of women's watches. I don't know. Um, but I'd like to bring some more diversity into our community.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. it's a total sausage fest. <laughs> <laughs> My dial is bigger than your dial. <laughs> uh, I'll stick to uh, my 38
0: millimeter to 40. Thank you very much.
1: Very comfortable. Yes. You know you know, those two uh, millimeters make the difference, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what
0: she said. Uh, cool. Well, Everett, thank, thank you so much for being with us uh, and taking time uh, out of your day. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah. And yeah, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to have you back again. I know we didn't get to touch on everything we wanted to talk about, so... For everyone listening, stay tuned for part two with Evan soon. That'd be
2: great. And again, it's a fucking honor.
0: Uh, It's an honor to have you, right? We appreciate it, man. Cool. Well, thank you so much and we'll catch everyone on the next
2: one. Ciao.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And also, please leave us a review. Thank you and catch you on the next one.